0: Hi, this is a podcast for the best bits of the Breakfasters. Breakfasters is a Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia.
1: Catherine Murphy has worked in Canberra's Parliamentary Press Gallery for over two decades for the Australian Financial Review, The Australian and The Age, before joining Guardian Australia, where she is political editor. Catherine won the Paul Lynham Award for Excellence in Press Gallery Journalism, is a director of the National Press Club, author of On Disruption, and now the latest quarterly essay, The End of Certainty, Scott Morrison and Pandemic Politics. And to tell us about it, the two-time Walkley Award finalist joins us on the line now. Catherine Murphy, welcome to Breakfasters.
2: Hello, guys. How
1: are you? Yeah, we're good. We're, it's, um, it, it's so interesting. You, you know, you describe yourself in the essay as a, a willing conscript to a ceaseless cause called the news cycle. What, what do you see your role is for, for this essay that you've tried to document and bear witness to? Uh,
2: well, it's, it's, in a way, it's step out of the ceaseless news cycle and uh, try and uh, snapshot several months uh, of uh, a really profound thing that's happened to the world and Australia. So the essay is kind of part history, part uh, documenting events that I've witnessed uh, over the last six months or so uh, through sort of uh, first-person interviews from the major protagonists about how and when they made decisions and... How they felt while they were doing it, uh, and what reflections they had about those decisions. So that's part of it, and part of it is a portrait of the Prime Minister Scott Morrison, who, despite being the most powerful political figure in the land, is not very studied. Uh, and uh, I say in the uh, in the essay, part of the reason he's not very studied in terms of a long-term profile, is that he's very hard to get a handle on. (laughs) He's a a protean, pragmatic, uh, fast-moving political character. So what the pandemic's done is given me a lens uh, that I can view him through. So I can basically... Uh, assemble a number of events uh, that have occurred and it's sort of a bit like a live-action replay. I can just press pause and then we can turn the Prime Minister around every which way and have a look at him and mm. see how his responses in this crisis might might sort of tell uh, give people a picture about who he is and what motivates him.
1: You're right that I watch Morrison for a living, but I find him confounding in a number of respects. What is it that confounds you, and do you think you came to any resolutions?
2: (laughs) He's he's just... uh, I I, I sort of referenced a moment ago, he's he's pragmatic and and protean uh, as a political figure. He's... uh, he sort of uh, he doesn't have um, the set of starting point values that uh, a number of Australian prime ministers in my reporting last time have had. Uh, his uh, his sort of approach to being the prime minister thus far has been mainly managerialism um, rather than the articulating uh, articulation of particular values. So it's partly that it's partly that he is a pragmatic. Problem-solving sort of guy, a hybrid between a prime minister and a campaign director. It's partly that, um, and it's it's also he has this uh, he has this sort of uh, he's, a, he's a big bluff guy, um, but he has this strange reflective quality. And uh, because I look at him most days, it's uh, it's sort of crept <laughs> up on me that observation. Um, it's sort of like. Uh, you obviously see Scott Morrison when you look at him, um, but he has this... He, he, he deliberately, I think, reflects back to the public. So the mood of the public, disposition of the public, uh, the desires of the public are kind of reflected back by the Prime Minister. So, um, anyway, he's just he's a very interesting character study, but he's, he's a bit of a... Uh, it's a bit of a
0: frustrating one. Mm-hmm. It's easy. It's, you know, the pandemic, as you point out in this essay, has given us this new insight to him as a leader and as a person. And from a Victorian's point of view, I was really fascinated by your description of the relationship he had with the premiers around mm-hmm. Australia, but in particular Daniel Andrews. They're very different politicians. However, you kind of describe this mutual respect as two political alphas and, and detail the way in which they work to with each other, even when they're at odds with one another. I think that's been particularly yeah. highlighted for us in Victoria over the last couple of weeks since we entered stage four lockdown in which, you know, Scott Morrison stood up and spoke about very harshly after Andrews had announced it. Yeah. What's your – I just wonder if you could talk a little bit about that relationship and what you think is going to come of it now at this kind of – at this end of, of the year.
2: Yeah, well, look, he's, they are the most interesting relationship in the federation. Scott Morrison and Daniel Andrews. Uh, when uh, we, many people will have forgotten this now, but when Scott Morrison first became prime minister after uh, he took over from Malcolm Turnbull, the leader, political leader inside the federation that he modelled his style on was actually Daniel Andrews. Uh, the the two, as you as you say. Um, their their relationship or the way the way I described their relationship. Thank you, that was a beautiful description, two alphas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that out. Um, that's that is basically what I meant. Um, I don't think I said it quite that eloquently, but thank you. Um, uh, so it's uh, yeah, it's kind of um, I described them as close, and then I stepped back from that description because it's not they're not close in the way that one usually invokes that term in human relationships. Uh, they're transactional in a political sense, and I think uh, they probably have a bunch of qualities that they may recognise in the other, even though they have very different worldviews. They have different very different starting points, I guess. So, um, I captured them basically, I think, at the zenith of their relationship in this piece, which is kind of, well, not funny in retrospect because there's a whole lot of problems associated with the trajectory that they've been on, uh, but... Anyway, Morrison describes uh, Daniel Andrews in the in the essay as uh, he and he and Daniel Andrews as the most important fusion in the federation, and I think for the purposes of the crisis that is absolutely true. Now, what's happening now is obviously a departure from the uh, the collaborations, the earlier collaboration. And uh, and I think that's a great pity, uh, that, uh, that there has been this deterioration in their relationship. Um, there's, uh, the Prime Minister's sort of pretty much, and, and, and more so senior ministers, I guess, senior Victorian ministers more than Morrison himself, but there has been this carpet-bobbing, obviously, of Andrews over the last several weeks. Now, it's reasonable in the sense that the Premier clearly has a number of questions to answer about uh, the origins of the second wave and what managerial failings the government, you know, the government wrapped up, right? Um, I'm not saying that Andrews has no case to answer. Quite clearly, he does. Uh, But uh, I think the sort of uh, reversion to politics as usual uh, in the relationships between... Scott Morrison and the Premier Andrews and also Anastasia Palaszczuk in Queensland is really disappointing because uh, the the essay captures a moment in time in Australian politics where our political class, for want of a better term, our leaders work together collaboratively and cooperatively largely, although there were conflicts, uh, to solve uh, a, a or, well, not solve, because you can't solve it at this point, but but manage a really, really difficult, multifaceted crisis that impacted the entire country and it saw people get ill, saw people lose their jobs, saw people lose their businesses. This is a really profound thing that's happened. And I think uh, our political leaders would be better placed working together to solve those problems rather than blame-shifting and duck-shoving and the sort of stuff that we see happening right at the moment. Mm.
1: What, what do you think the future is for National Cabinet? Was it just an aberration of cooperation or uh, is, there, <laughs> is there any residual goodwill that might persist into the future?
2: I hope so. I really do um, because the structure has served the, uh, the leaders quite well, even though there, there, there has been conflict all the way. It's just that they were better in the first wave of sort of concealing some of their conflict than they have become now. Um, I hope so. I think one of the dynamics at the moment is, uh, is the, uh, proximity of, uh, a state election in Queensland. Uh, I think that's one factor that's sort of driving the, the deterioration, the deterioration relationships. Uh, and also um, the difficulty for the government, uh, the government I watched, the government in Canberra, um, for uh, in the Victorian incidents, is obviously they they, uh, they were caught. I think between um, or Morrison was caught between being the prime minister and the premiers. So um, that sort of emergency government of nine coordinating that national response, and then the sort of backlash or desires or frustrations of the base in Victoria, the Liberal Party's base in Victoria, which is obviously very unhappy with ongoing restrictions. So, uh, Morrison's been attempting to sort of straddle both camps, I think, over the last few weeks, preserve a functional relationship with Andrews while being out articulating the the, uh, frustrations at the base of his own political party. Now, I think if things improve in Victoria, if we get to the other side of the state election, it is possible that things, uh, relationships between these leaders will settle down, may not sort of go right back to the halcyon days at the start, but may well settle down into a more functional framework. I really hope that's the case for the sake Mm. of the country because if that happens, we do all benefit from that. What do you think um,
1: 2020 has revealed about the if anything, about the Australian approach or the Australian character. I'm thinking maybe in particular about our receptiveness to medical advice.
2: Yeah, well, it's very important, I think, uh, that, um, and, and Brendan Murphy, the Chief Medical Officer, says this in the essay, it's uh, the, the key difference between Australia and jurisdictions that we, we routinely compare ourselves against is that our political figures did take uh, expert advice in relation to how to manage this crisis. That was very important uh, to the containment and suppression of the first wave of coronavirus infections. Uh, and in Australia, unlike in America, which we see very vividly and, and sort of nightmarishly, uh, our political leaders didn't uh, sort of create a whole political narrative around coronavirus that, uh, that was sort of contrary to the evidence. Uh, political leaders obviously uh, interpreted evi- evidence through a political lens because they are politicians. Uh, but they weren't at odds with science. Uh, in fact, they embraced the science, and that, and we saw we saw the success of embracing the science so in Victoria. Uh, And big shout out to everyone um, in Melbourne and Victoria for the tough time you've been through in recent weeks. It's, it's, you know, I feel, I feel for you. I feel for all my friends in Melbourne. Uh, It's a really difficult period you've been through. But on the current trend of infection rates, it looks like you guys are really turning the corner down there. And again, uh, you know, if you if you follow the expert advice, and I think Daniel uh, Daniel Andrews has got himself into a, into a bit of strife down there, or extending on the expert advice. Um, but anyway, if you broadly follow the medical advice, you get the result. And again, um, you know, I'm sort of as a as a journalist, I'm quite into experts and facts and science and that sort of stuff. Um, I think it's a pretty good guide in a pretty turbulent and difficult time. So I'm glad to see that uh, Australian politicians have adopted it. Just quickly,
0: I'm kind of interested in your takeaway from Scott Morrison after 2020. You've spent some time with him that rarely journalists get to spend with him. You have um, observed up close many prime ministers in Australia. And there's a moment in the essay where you do say... You talk about a Morrison staffer moving in uh, when he's elected, and, and and commenting that they're going to be there for a long time, and maybe, maybe a year maybe ago. Maybe yeah, <laughs> that's not a reflection <laughs> of the last piece <laughs> of our politics by any by any means. And at the start of this year, you wouldn't have thought that was very likely. How do you think 2020 is going mm-hmm. to reflect on Morrison as a as a person and as a leader?
2: Yeah, it's a very good question and we're sort of still in 2020 and one of the major milestones that Morrison will use to define his government is still ahead of us. That's that's the budget in October and the policies that, that uh, the government will pursue in that, in that budget will, uh, I think in large part, define the character of his government because it's the first opportunity that he's had since being Prime Minister, I think, to do that. So we've got a bit of a watch this space there. Um in terms of what's happened uh, over the over the, uh, the months of this year, well, we've had two crises crises in Australia this year. We've had the bushfires and we've had the pandemic. Now, obviously, uh, Scott Morrison didn't cover himself in glory during the first crisis. We all saw him struggle to um, find a role for himself in uh, in the bushfire crisis and struggle to find some language that leaders need to use in in such a crisis. And it was similar to the pandemic because uh, with emergency management, the states have got all the power. It's the same situation as the pandemic. So I think uh, the FA charts uh, the fact that Morrison learned a great deal between the first and the second crisis, uh, both in a practical sense uh, and also in the projection of leadership, he learned, uh, or he, well, he created a role for himself in the second crisis, which is the pandemic. He wasn't going to be stranded by the premiers a second time. So that's what we saw, I think, in terms of him learning something. So um, I think that's really interesting. Not not every uh, political figure as senior as Morrison can learn and adapt. Uh, some of them can't. And, uh, and I think the history shows, at least in the federal domain, that, that events tend to run over the top of them if they can't learn and adapt. This guy definitely can learn and adapt uh, who he is, though, in terms of the values that he's going to project as as, as as Prime Minister, the reforms that he's really going to go for to define his Prime Ministership. Well, we're getting some clues about that, uh, where the government's going in terms of the budget, uh, and some of it looks a bit retro to me in terms of, uh, of, of Liberal Party ideas, lower taxes, uh, deregulate labor market regulations, lock in fossil fuels, all looks a bit looks a bit eerily predictable. Um, but anyway, maybe um maybe he'll be more interesting than the sum of those parts. I'm certainly deserving judgment about it. And I'll be very interested to see what he produces because this is a really significant event for um Scott Morrison, this budget and, and what he projects about himself through it because it will sort of create um, some, 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 I guess, principal components where we can start to define this guy. Whereas uh, his sort of the sum of his parts today has kind of been largely about avoiding definition. So this is going to be really interesting.
1: Well, the quarterly essay, "The End of Certainty," Scott Morrison and pandemic politics, is brimming with insights. And out now, via Black Ink, Catherine Murphy. Thanks so much for chatting with us.
2: It's been fun. Thanks, guys. Independent
1: Melbourne Radio 3R it's time for a midweek welfare check with local comedians in lockdown and we're joined by today's Wednesday Wisecracker, Prue Blake. Prue, what's on your mind?
3: Hi everyone. Oh, I've been doing a lot of thinking. There's been plenty of time to think lately and I guess just so many big global issues to think about um, but I am going to come clean. All I've been thinking about is my boyfriend. <laughs> I hate it. I guess lockdown's just kind of forced him to become the centre of my world um, and I, I feel very lucky that I time settling down at a point where fomo has ceased to exist <laughs> 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 but you know it has had its challenges my boyfriend's much younger than me i mean like an appropriate amount younger um 22 and, and that does come with challenges like 22 year olds can be the worst right
4: yeah. <laughs> how old are you <laughs> like, it's really hard to relate to but um, pru, 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 how, yeah. how old are you what's the age gap here
3: i'm 28 right yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it's a bit. It's yeah. not a lot, but it's a bit.
4: Yeah, like, no, no, no. It's explain
3: good. it. Like when we first started dating, he wouldn't stop talking about Bitcoin.
4: That's, <laughs> kind,
3: of, that's kind of the gap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Beginning of a relationship can be a tough time. So what I do is I just simply kind of set up a cage system where I keep him and force feed him all the pop culture I need him to know for us to relate in any sort of way whatsoever you know, I'm just like, all right, a few seasons of Killing Eve and we'll pop a When Harry Met Sally on. And then <laughs> I'll check on him every so often and be like, turkey's not done yet. <laughs> <laughs> going to have to pop in a few city episodes of Broad City and bam, I've got myself some boyfriend magic. <laughs> but the work, you know, it doesn't just end. Um, our latest challenge has been Sleeping Over. Um, we hadn't really done that before. We've been dating for like a year and a half. Um, and we both agree it's much easier to love someone when they're not the cause of your tiredness.
1: Yeah. So we've kind of written that off,
3: you know? And <laughs> but now curfew's meant we're sharing that double bed on the rig. Um, yeah. and that's it's kind of been a thing. So it is nice. There are some nice elements I've noticed, like having more time to lie there and really stare into each other's eyes (laughs) I mean he stares into my eyes and I'm long-sighted so I stare into his one big eye (laughs) in the middle of his face romantic (laughs) Um, and you know we share all those things you can only talk about in bed with a lover like our deepest desires Um, his obviously for the collapse of fiat currency and rise of bitcoin (laughs) Um, and I hear a lot about it and me to be able to whistle. Um, Can you all whistle? Yeah. I'm so, I've been putting so many hours into learning how to whistle (laughs) during lockdown. My coach, David Morris, um, YouTube whistling professional. (laughs) Anyone can whistle with a few simple techniques and I've really adopted one, which is saying, you, pew, 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 and then trying to whistle because it gets your mouth in the right shape. Oh. But the problem is I still can't whistle. So now I tell people I can whistle. I say, you, pew, 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 <laughs> and no sound comes out. And think, I think that's what whistling is, <laughs> 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 which has really been a challenge. It's also meant I've talked about it with a lot of people. And they immediately show me their whistle, which I then critique with phrases like, oh, you've actually got quite a loose hole. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> which makes everyone awkward. <laughs> I just can't get my head around <laughs> whistling. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> you, pew, pew, pew. Um, I want to also ask about you, have you this newsletter slash scientific experiment you've got going on
3: oh yeah I've got a newsletter it's called I shaved my legs for this and my theory is that if you put in the effort to shave your legs your day should be better than average (laughs) And, and so I've been recording each day I shave my legs which is like roughly fortnightly and so far, zero days have been better than average. <laughs> it's really, yeah, I think I'm going to start charting it soon.
4: What's the, what do you think the end result will be, that you'll never, you'll just stop shaving your legs or I shave think, them every day?
3: I think it's going to be that I'll just sh- stop shaving my legs. Yeah. But I might try shaving other things, like maybe eyebrows <laughs> or hair. <head. laughs> see if that's the key. <laughs>
1: But I was, I was reading it. You missed a spot. Is that? Is oh, that...
3: I miss a spot every time.
1: <laughs> right.
3: No one can shave a perfect leg.
1: No, I know, but it seemed like you had a large chunk. I mean, you've dedicated a newsletter to shaving your leg and you can't, you've, you didn't quite get well, there.
3: Well, I think in that episode I also didn't have my handle for the razor, so I was just holding the razor blade.
1: Oh, God, my gosh.
3: Oh, because <laughs> <my laughs> really, the hair needed to come off because I had to write a... <laughs> I had to write an issue.
4: Oh. I've got
3: a handle now, though, so I'll I'll do a perfect shave next <laughs> time. Do it in about a fortnight if anyone wants to sign up.
1: <laughs> uh, well, and yeah, good luck with your boyfriend. And
3: Thank
1: you. Yeah, it sounds like he's coming along and you're training him well.
3: Well, I mean, uh, I love that one eyed beast. I kind of don't know <laughs> if I'm more in love with the man or the monster anymore. <laughs> Who doesn't have a soft spot for Mike Wazowski? You know what I
1: mean? <laughs> uh, Prue Black, thanks, Hayes. We'll talk soon. Thanks. Talk soon,
3: thanks.
1: everyone. Bye. Triple R. The Travelling Sisters are a multi-award winning physical comedy troupe I have a new web series called Meet the Mullets. And to tell us about it, one of the Travelling Sisters, Lucy Fox, joins us on the line now. Lucy, welcome to Breakfasters.
5: Oh, good morning. <laughs> good morning to you. Um,
1: who are these mullets? How do we meet them?
5: Okay, so these mullets are three blokes from Dolby, uh, Queensland, and they are super into theatre. They are like theatre diehards who have who made a show that then got cancelled uh, due to the pandemic, and um, they are pretty devastated about this. Uh, not just the fact that they can't do their do their live show, but of course they're also locked away each separately with their own mothers. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, yeah. And, and who do you play? I play Daryl, who um, Daryl sort of, you know, he, he's, probably, he's probably the leader of the pack, yeah. He, he's sort of, um, yeah, he's the one who really drives it. He's the director as well as an actor and yeah. producer. Yeah, so he's kind of he's like the head of the pack and then and I also play Daryl's mum. Roseanne, who um yeah, it's having Daryl to stay but has recently got married to Trevor and was meant to be on her honeymoon. So yeah, it's an interesting time. We're really enjoying it. (laughs) <laughs> um yeah, so each each of us, me, Laura and Elle, all play one of the blokes as well as their own mother.
1: Yeah. Um yeah. What is it about um theatre that gets these three mullets, you know, salivating?
5: Well, I really, I mean, I can only speak to Daryl. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know, I think it's the energy <laughs> It's that interaction with the audience that r- really brings to the world, and it's, uh, telling the story. You know, That is <laughs> from long ago. You know, it, it doesn't it doesn't decipher or distinguish or distil. You know, it is you can you can talk about Goliath. <laughs> <laughs> you can talk about the Sphinx. <laughs> There is no end to the possibility (laughs) of theatre. I think that's what really.
1: (laughs) Um, And it's it's interesting because you you know, travelling sisters do theatre, and then now you've had to adapt, not unlike the mullets themselves,
5: quite Um, true to
1: reality. Yes uh how how have you found the transition to short form um comedy as opposed to having the expanse and the stage and and the time
5: oh really challenging but absolutely loved it it was kind of um as we were you know the process of it was like okay what are the funniest things we can think of and don't worry about the storyline yet let's just chuck all of those in and then the story kind of developed around it so it was a really like yeah it was a really interesting process to write something like this a challenge but um I think we'll definitely be doing it again because it was it was awesome
4: It was pretty fun to watch. I kind of was ripping through all the episodes in in one day. And then I think, well, obviously they're only five-minute episodes, so it's very easy to rip through it in one day. Um, But I think by episode, like, four, man, it goes bonkers. Like, when you were writing it, though, did you think, um, are we going bonkers enough or are we going too bonkers? Like, now that we're in, like, day 5,000 of lockdown, like, are you thinking, like, we didn't go far enough or yeah that's like that's so interesting we were thinking you know the whole
5: time we were like yeah what is that line what is that line um and when we got to the end of it because we wrote like I won't say what the last scene is but the way that it ends is pretty um kind of ridiculous and we didn't want to say too much we didn't you know we wanted, didn't want to be like super reflective and like you know because it would have been really weird and not on brand. Um, but but we were like, what are we, what are we saying? And the way we ended it, we were like, we wrote it, and then by the time it actually came to um, unleash it on the world, it felt more relevant than yeah. when we had written it. And I think that's just, I mean, particularly for Melbourne because. You know, lockdown's been extended and extended and while we were writing it, we we're like, maybe this won't be relevant anymore. Like <laughs> and then we um and then we did it like, you know, a few weeks ago and we're all still in lockdown and we're all still like, uh yeah, we <laughs> have gone mad and what is the meaning of all of this? Okay, cool. <laughs> What about, um, costuming?
1: Did, did you have all the wigs ready to go or how much thought goes into selecting, you know, Daryl's aesthetic?
5: Oh, Daryl's aesthetic, yeah, those <laughs> short shorts. Um, well, we, we use we had these characters for our live show, both the, um, blokes and the mums. So we had pretty much all the costumes ready to go. That's when we did our live show those costumes took ages to find because we've we've had like a long evolution of of these characters these characters started out as ice skaters (laughs) in like we it was like 2016 they were ice skaters that um it was 1982 and they were getting ready for the 1984 Winter Olympics in Sarajevo, Yugoslavia. It's come a long way. And so their costumes were pretty different back then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how, did uh,
0: they, how did they evolve to being in the being interested in the theatre from ice skating to being on the oh, stage?
5: You just muck around, don't you? And eventually you just kind of land on something.
1: (laughs) And what about bloopers? Where do do you stand on bloopers philosophically, comedically? um, Are they indulgent? Would, Would you have had heaps of them were you to commit to them?
5: Personally, I love bloopers. <laughs> They're my favourite part of any show. I think every show should have them. I think we do have some bloopers somewhere that we will probably release. Um, mm. I, don't, I don't like. I don't personally think it's indulgent. I think it's hilarious. Mm. But then, being an actor and being on set, you're like, that is the funniest bit. <laughs> that is the, That's what people need to see. You know. So yeah, What's- maybe we'll get them
4: out there obviously you you know you because you're playing you know two characters yourself did does that mean you just when you're filming this you're just kind of in a room on your own like talking to yourself most of the time what was <laughs> yeah, that like pretty much <laughs> well we wrote it that way because just in
5: case we went into like a high level of lockdown mm. um, we were fortunate enough to get in that sweet little gap when we were still allowed ten people in a house, oh wow! Yeah, so we were actually allowed to beat each other's crew, but that's why we wrote it like that. Um, we stood in as each other's body double, so which is pretty funny when you watch it to like remember that. Um, but, yeah, hopefully it doesn't notice too much. We had some, you know, double-up wigs and stuff. But it was pretty weird, like, doing it to yourself or, like, to no one. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you watch it back, it's like, oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, totally. It's very yeah. funny. Yeah. And, yes, incredibly fast-paced. Uh, and so it's Meet the Mullets, its a new comedy web series by the Travelling Sisters, with courtesy of the City of Melbourne a little bit.
5: Yep. Yep. They supported us, helped us out. That was amazing.
4: Yep. Uh, Sorry, just quickly, if Darrell wanted to get people to pitch people to watch it, how would, how would he do that? Um, look, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a documentary, basically,
5: <laughs> uh, you know, about the lives of the, you know, um, of us. They were kind enough to come into our house and really dig deep into what it was like going on for us in lockdown with our mums. So, um, you know, it's, it's serious. It's a kind of serious thing. Okay. It's not serious. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Uh, Daryl takes everything seriously. He
1: does indeed. Uh you can check out Daryl and the crew at thetravelingsisters.com and go to the web series page at thetravelingsisters.com. Lucy Fox, thanks very much.
5: Thanks so much. Thank you. Triple R
1: For Feature Creatures this week, we're joined from Friends of the Earth in Melbourne by environmental educator and koala researcher, Anthony Amos. Anthony, welcome. Yeah, hi. How you going? Yeah, excellent. It's um. It's been a big year for koalas, and uh, they're the focus of a new report you've put together. Can you tell us what you looked into?
6: Yeah, well, our main interest uh, is the population of koalas in the Strzelecki's. So um, we estimate down there there's about 1,500 animals. Um, I don't know if people know where the Strzelecki's are, but it's the, it's the small little mountain range sort of south of Morwell and, and between the prom. Um, so we're interested in that uh, population because they're the most genetically diverse population uh, in Victoria and South Australia. They're the only uh, sort of what you call a, a relic uh, population of animals. So um, all other populations in South Australia and Victoria have been, um, uh, they've been translocated and their genetic diversity is a lot less than the Streslecki animal. So the Streslecki koalas are really important for the long-term survival of the species in Southern Australia. So, um, yeah, we, we I was involved with some surveys, um, you know, starting about uh, November right through to July when I could get out of Melbourne, that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, we've been looking at um, what, what are their favourite trees that they eat and trying to get a grasp on populations and also uh, you know, key areas where, um, where where they're hanging in there. What kind of risks do
0: koalas face when you reduce the genetic um, diversity of a gene pool? Like I think about the Tassie Devils Kind of pop into mind when I think about reduced gene pool and and the the you know the rise of the cancer that they can share genetically now. Is it things like that that are
6: forecast? Yeah, yeah, it's 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 their long term survival. So um, I mean, um, people don't quite understand, but um, in um, in Victoria um, there was um, some animals taken from South Gippsland to French Island back in the eighteen eighties, I think it was, and a few others that that were dropped uh, onto Phillip Island where they weren't sort of and. N- Naturally occurring. So what's happened? uh, There was three animals from French Island. So basically, all the animals that have been translocated from those island populations around Victoria and South Australia come from basically three animals. Oh wow! So they've gone through what's called a genetic bottleneck, and so essentially, uh, it's it's inbreeding. Uh, and so, um, in the long term, those those populations th- they often go through big booms and busts. And you know, if you if you go to Phillip Island now, um, they're really uh, the animals. There were thousands of animals there, you know, throughout the twentieth century, but there's basically none left. And so, um, yeah, so th- we're trying to get this this out there into the community that there's two populations of koalas really in in Victoria and South Australia. One's the endemic one, the Streslecki one, which with the strong genes. And the other ones are translocated, but they're important animals, but they haven't got the genetic diversity. So we're really focusing on the stresslerky animal because that's where the long-term future of of the animal is.
1: Yeah, And so when you were doing the surveys, you can tell by looking at them where they where they originated.
6: Uh, well, well, yeah, look, there's been genetic work done, um, by, uh, by Federation University who, uh, so what we do is we go in and look for scats. We don't actually look in the trees because you'd be look. they're really hard to find in some of the trees down there, like mountain ash can grow very, very tall. So rather than look up in the tree and sort of bust our necks, we're, we're on the ground looking for scats. And by scats,
4: do you mean poo, koala poo?
6: Yeah, that's right. So you know an animal will be up in a tree, and so what we do is is is, is we look under the uh, you know where all the uh, bark and all the rest is, and then from that we can determine. Oh yeah, okay. Well, there's animals here. And Then we put that into a spreadsheet, and uh, then we send that off to a scientist, and and he he crunches the numbers for us. So that's essentially uh, what we've done. So through our work, we found that um, you know a lot of people associate koalas only only with manna gums, uh, but that's not particularly right in the Stresleckis. I mean, their favourite tree down there is the mountain grey gum uh, and also blue gum. And a few years ago, we found uh, a a new species no one had really known that they even ate before, which is Streslecki gum. So um, what we're doing now is we're going to these areas where these favourite trees are and then, um, yeah, we we look for the scats and if we find one, then we move on to the next site. And so... um, yeah, so uh, what we found down there is the, the Streslecki animal was almost extinct um, in in the 1920s. There was a survey done throughout Victoria, and apart from those translocated island populations, that, uh, that you know they went through all of Victoria, there was no, there was basically no koalas. Uh, the only koala population they found was down near Yarram, so in the Streslecki ranges. So somehow. These animals have uh, survived, the, you know, the fires and the logging and 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 all the land clearing that went down in 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 the Stresleckis, and and the, and the, they've hung in there. So it's quite remarkable that they've actually been able to survive um, after everything that humans have thrown at them. Mm. Um, yeah, and just in South Australia, the animal was completely extinct by the 1920s. And so, um, you know, the South Australian government bought animals from French Island with the, the, you know, what I hate I don't like using the term, but inbred animals and put them on, on kangaroo Island and the fires uh, early this year, you know, there was 40,000 animals, uh, they estimate that were killed on, um, this is koalas on kangaroo Island in those horrible fires. Uh, yeah, and those animals weren't there th- th- weren't there naturally um, and um, it just shows you that you know some of these populations can really move really quick and and breed in um, in very rapid you know Time periods.
1: Yeah, do, do you have enough information now to offer recommendations and
6: uh, the or uh, recommended actions? Well, we've still got a heap of sites that we that we want to survey. So what? So once COVID is out of the way, we'll be going back. I've got probably I estimate probably four or five hundred surveys to sort of conduct, and then we'll get a better idea. But yeah, look, we we definitely know where the um, where the highest populations are in in the Strezleckis. And, and you know they're tucked away um, but you know and uh, these recent surveys we found another um, four or five little population zones. So what we're finding in the Stresleckis is, is that the animal was nearly extinct but it's starting to recover. Um, and we asked est- you know, and um, what's happening now is the animals are starting to radiate out of the Stresleckis more uh, into the central in, into the Gippsland plains and the like. so, yeah, it's quite an interesting exercise, and um you know it's, it's quite interesting to how you know to understand how how little people really understand about koalas in in um, in Victoria and South Australia. In, and they' not endangered they're not listed as endangered in Victoria, which is, which we're quite sort of mortified by, but because we argue that the Strasla animal is as, is as significant as the threatened uh, animals in Queensland and New South Wales. Um, but what the government says is because there's these huge numbers of koalas uh, that have been translocated in, in the southwest, that the population's stable, but it's not stable at all because those translocated populations could, um, could crash quite, quite significantly, and all you need is a big fire down in the Streslik, and, that, and that, that relic population is going to be under um, you know, enormous pressure.
1: Yeah. So, would you call for environmental protection laws to be tweaked or changed? And is that possible and easy?
6: Yeah. Well, well, the, floor, the well, it's not easy. The, uh, the flora and the flora and fauna guarantee act uh, in Victoria needs to acknowledge that these animals with with the unique genetics need need to be sort of prioritised and, and protected. And at the moment, um, yeah, well, the only protection koalas have is under the Wildlife Act. Um, But, you know, we'd argue that these, particularly the Streslecki animals uh, need to be uh, listed under the FFG Act and they need to be managed uh, as a separate management unit to other populations in Victoria and South Australia.
1: And uh, for more information, where would you like to send people?
6: Well, you can look at our map, uh, the Straslecki Koala Map. So uh, I haven't got the URL, but just just type it into Google, and you'll you'll see where, where the surveys have been, and and you know the area of land that we need to survey to. To sort of further our understanding of what's going on down
1: there. Yeah, and uh, the report from Friends of the Earth Melbourne is uh, t- titled Koala Surveys, Trislecki Ranges, Gippsland Regions, December 2019 to July 2020. Um, well, congratulations on all the work so far, and uh, let's hope you can get out there
6: soon. Yeah, unreal. Thanks heaps. Triple R
5: on FM on Digital RRR. Online via the app.
4: Uh, first day of freedom for me yesterday, um, being someone that lives in regional Victoria, um, had those magical words, travel with no restrictions. Oh, what a dream. Isn't that nice to hear? Oh, yeah. You can travel with no restrictions. You don't have to feel guilty about going down to the, doing stuff that you would normally do, but anyway, I didn't, I um decided Can I just say, because people can't
0: see this at home, Daniel for a moment looked like he was meditating to those words. <laughs> he's in a very dark room uh, when we, we Skype in for this show. Yeah. And he just had the glow of
1: light on the side of his face and his eyes closed. You <laughs> said, travel with no restriction. I was. I was yeah. meditating. Um, and I was thinking about whether, you know, I'm trying to think of a, a, uh, an allegory, but say if you have the day off school but you're allowed the day off school but you feel like I should be at school or, you know, did you feel oh. normal?
4: Oh. Uh oh, here's an allegory that I came up with. Um it feels it felt like um say like you, you go to a cafe with your friend um, and the waiter comes over and says, um, oh hey, here's a free slice. It's the last slice of cake. We're not gonna be able to sell it before here, have this cake. Have this cake. But your friend is doing some weird fasting thing so can't eat the cake. But they really love cake. They love cake. But they're – and so you don't – and you really love cake as well, obviously. Uh, So you're like – should I, you left question, should I, should I eat the cake? And your friend's going, no, absolutely, eat the cake. Come on, mate, just eat the cake because, like, I can get cake when this is over. I'll get cake later. Don't worry about it. Like, let me watch you eat the cake. It will bring me joy to watch you eat the cake. I'm like, yeah, but I don't know if I should, if I should eat the cake in front of you. That's what it feels like. Right. The okay, the like
1: <laughs> Beautiful. It's very apt. <laughs> yeah. Eat, yeah. The, eat the cake.
4: Eat the cake. Okay. Well, I ate the cake, and I drove down. Uh, I got in the. It was. It took a long time to figure. It, you know, when you kind of like you, you do whatever you want, and you just kind of go, oh, all right, and don't do, end up not doing anything. So it was a bit like that. So I just kind of, um, I just drove down to Inverloch, which is like just the next town, and um, there's a. It's a start of this coastal drive that goes from Inverloch to to Kilcunda, it's all along the coast, it's quite beautiful. It's like a 60, oh, maybe 40 or 60 k's, but I, I did not go that far. Like I went to Inblock and I went maybe 5 k's and there's a couple of spots like, uh, you know, where there's lookouts and stuff. So I just went to to two of those and was just like, you know, stood and looked at the ocean from a different point of view. And there was someone else um, that was – uh, there was one point. It was like this. Look at like on the edge of the cliff kind of thing, and there was another guy uh, there. And I just, I remember walking away, just thinking, "Why did I tell him so much about my life? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know that guy." <laughs> it's just like, just you know, we had that sudden like, "Oh, he didn't. He knows a lot about me now." But oh um, god, <laughs> a, I
0: begin, I don't know if that's I. So I am a overshare and I think I've turned into my mum in that sense because she was someone who would it would kill me as a kid she'd start telling a story and then she'd go off on 25 tangents about life and things and I'd be like mum this is so embarrassing get back to the point and I've become that person but more so during lockdown and I've had to have a couple of um, over the phone things with midwives because it's all telehealth and I can't go to the hospital yeah. And they ask you very personal questions about your pregnancy because that's what their job is to do. But I kind of confuse that for them wanting to know extended detail about my life. So I keep when they ask me how things are or how the baby and do I have support around me, I mm. keep opening You've up. You've got to explain much. it. I know. But it's. T- it's I understand. And, yeah. um, and I think that's what you might have experienced. Like it's this desperation right now because we haven't had a chance to share with as many people as we usually
4: would. Yeah. It's like oversharing. And it's also, it's generally, it's because. Um the circumstances in which I'm, I've moved to Venus Bay and having to explain all of that and what? not <laughs> wanting, to, you know, because so yeah. many people, uh, you know, in virtual, in, it's such a sore point when people from Melbourne come down to their holiday house. Yeah. And that's essentially what I've done. Um,
0: Mate, if you manage to bust through that ring of steel about <laughs> a $5,000 fine, I don't know. <laughs>
4: <laughs> so it's just it having to explain that and kind of, you know, go, oh, so my part yeah, my mm. pa but she was here half the time. So it's just, you know, I'm like, oh, I just walked away going, I've given too
1: much information. You, you, know when, <laughs> you, you know when you'd be walking down the street maybe with your uh, parents or, you know, some adult and then they would stop and they would stop and they would talk for so long and you would have to sit there and wait for this oh, conversation yes. to be over? I, I, I think maybe, and it's only just occurred to me, but the reason they stopped was for the adult company. They don't – you're the reason. You're oh not God, the God, passive in this. They're stopping yeah. to talk to a normal adult person and have a good conversation. And now I'm realising that as a child, you're the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, baby. Oh, what yeah, a How often do
0: I hear my friends say, I just want a good adult conversation? Exactly.
1: You've really cracked to something. That's what they were doing. They weren't just being eccentric. They were being
0: eccentric. just avoiding us. Exactly. That's what, that's right. <laughs> Mum oh. wasn't an over-talker. I was just a real drainer. <laughs>
4: <laughs> 100%. Here
6: we are. Welcome
4: yeah. To the um, passes breakdown quiz. It's uh, we do this every Friday morning at uh, around eight forty-five, uh, which is where we're at right now. And it is just a time um, where we reflect on the week that's been, and I ask you questions uh, and see how much you've retained, and mm. um, and yeah, just see if we can survive uh, another another day. Um, Carryover champions, as you as you both are, um, welcome back. Thanks, Sarah. we will um, um, start with you. How um, it's been? a it's been an interesting week on Breakfasters, and it's been, um, t- it's been a tough week. Yeah, no, and yeah. you've you've got the um, uh, I guess the uh, you've got baby brain. You have a baby brain, so so just... does that think it puts you maybe at an advantage or disadvantage?
0: I'd say a, I'd say a clear disadvantage. Yeah, just setting that up in the outset, yeah. clear disadvantage.
4: Yeah, and uh, and Daniel, do you, do you have any um, any undiagnosed
1: disadvantages
4: <laughs> or anything? That
1: you... No. However, I did just um, crack a memory uh, and focus vitamin, so I'm hoping <laughs> that kicks out that kicks in in the next fifteen seconds. <gasps> uh, what are you drinking out of that bottle, too? Um, it's a, it's another multi, it's an effervescent multivitamin. I'm oh, really yeah,
0: like a Barocca. It's bright orange bottle that you've been chugging
1: yeah. out of. Uh, I just want to do well in the quiz guys.
4: Yeah. That's Fair f- enough. I don't know. Are they, I might have to test those vitamins to make sure <laughs> that they actually are it vitamins. Says the
1: Essendon supporter. Supplement.
4: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Touche. Um, so, <clears throat> uh, first of all, um, <clears throat> We'll need to test your buzzers. <clears throat> Is that it?
1: <clears throat> no, that wasn't my buzzers. Oh, oh, oh yeah, it started, I like uh,
4: Oh, okay, oh.
0: interesting. Um, what would be a good counterpoint to that? Yeah, no, I don't want a meow. That's terrible. Um, what's something that's not as bad as a meow? It's a good counterpoint to a bark.
4: Yeah, do
0: that. Nah, never. Nah, lean into it, Sarah,
4: you psycho. Go <laughs> so spray. Close my eyes, and, um, I've, just and um, I've just asked a question, and you know the answer. Okay, great. Is it too – can you hear it, or is it too Yeah, hard? no, I can hear Stuttle. it. I shut my eyes. No, but do, do it together. You both know the answer. Go. Okay. Or does Sarah it need Scotty. to more be like – wow. No, that's whatever great. you whatever you feel like, if if it's getting too much, go for the round. Okay. But it's you know it's up it's up to you. Something cat. Um, like but like if 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 oh, I would have said, Sarah, you got in first on that. So, oh, hot tip. We'll Are you vitamins now,
1: Daniel? Yeah, they're
4: not working. <laughs> All right, we'll see. Scam,
1: um, Ricky, Ponding lied to <laughs> me.
4: <laughs> Let's see if this works. gave you extra time for those vitamins to kick in <laughs> thanks <clears throat> question number one what did i do when i was slightly hung over on the weekend i was hung over on the weekend and i had to go and do something what was it? sarah build a fence build oh, a fence correct build a fence um uh, question – oh, wait, hang on. I've got to write down the scores again, Sarah, Daniel. One point to Sarah. Uh, question number two. According to research found by Dr. Jen, what is not a good idea to hold in your profile pic? Daniel. Cat, a cat. A funny cat. that
0: a dog got that. <laughs> yeah, it is oh,
4: no. funny. <laughs> Apparently, if you're holding a cat, you are deemed less dateable, less extroverted and more neurotic. Unless you're um, – unless um, – the other person is a cat person, then it's then it's it's good. Then on like
0: Kong. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> question uh,
4: number three one point each at the moment. Question number three, uh, what two foods feature in Rosh Hashanah? Oh, oh Daniel oh, oh, Only
1: got it. only beetroot. No I, I'm what? right, I got it <laughs>
4: Sarah? Apples and honey. Apples and honey, that's right, because it's the new year and you want it, the, the new year to be sweet and good. Okay. Honey and apple.
1: Beetroot. People eat beetroot, though.
4: Yeah, yeah, there's definitely a beetroot in there. Yeah. But that's not but the that's answer not the that I was looking for. Yeah. Um, uh, question number four. Prue Blake has been trying to learn how to whistle. What could you say if you wanted your mouth to be in the right shape to whistle? (laughs) Sorry, it just sounded like I was coughing up a furball. Yep, well, still, you you can answer. Yep, yours. Is is it um, (laughs) poo-wee?
0: Oh, what was that? (laughs) You, pew-pew. Oh, you, pew-pew. You, pew-pew is the answer. You, wee.
1: I'm always telling you what was that, that
4: It doesn't matter. It's my buzzer. <laughs> it was terrifying. <laughs> it works. It's very excited. I love how you got that. It was the big hint that you got from Sarah. Then you went, Oh, now I know. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> question number five. It's all even at the moment. Mm. Two points each. Question number five. Where is it even? Two points each.
1: Yeah. You got two points. Yeah, but this is five. So this is the fifth. So this, this is, is the, the odd one.
4: one. Yeah. Oh. Uh, Meet the Mullets. It's a web series made by what comedy group? <laughs> it's the oh. Travelling Sisters.
0: Correct. Okay. I don't think Geraldine said either of our names in.
4: Well, no. She did need at... to.
1: It was so obvious. Oh,
0: <laughs> don't like this arrogance, Daniel. You're a bad sport. It doesn't look good. <laughs>
4: Uh, Question number six What was the um, Inspiration for the short story I wrote yesterday
0: (laughs) You found some Kipfla potatoes in the reserve near your house
4: Correct Kipfla Found a pile of Kipfla potatoes out in the reserve Still don't know why they're there or how they got there I'll never know uh, question number seven. <clears> that's one point to you, Sarah. How did I? Yeah, three all. Three all. That's correct. Um, uh, question number seven. There's a piece of rock with a fairly innocuous pattern on it that gives Siobhan Motherway from Museums Victoria goosebumps. Oh. What's so special about it? It's a hard one. It is hard. <laughs> Sarah. It's very old. It is very old. I want some more information about it, though. It's got something on it that shows. Okay, I've got gonna... it. Yeah, Daniel.
1: Oh no, it's wrong. Rings. No.
4: It's wrong. It um, it has. It shows the emergence of vascular leafed plants oh. from millions of years ago. Found in Victoria. Very exciting. It's right on the tip of my tongue. Yeah. yeah. Well, for it's that you a get a pew point. pew pew. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, question number eight: What's further? <laughs> Daniel for the boys. For the boys.
0: What about if I give you the Australian version of it?
1: Sure. Full credit to the boys. I don't. I don't think it is full credit to the boys <laughs> though. Because full credit happens after the effect. Uh, you know, it's like oh, you, you're apportioning. Yeah, you're you know, oh, yeah. achievement.
0: Do further. Yeah. Did Do full credit to the boys before a game. Full credit to the boys. We're going well, to go. done and, anything yet? Yeah. But full credit to the boys. We're going to go and get this shit done.
4: <laughs> question. I'm not giving you any points for that, Sarah. Um, question number nine. Uh, the text line is back up and running. Oh, oh god. How many texts did we receive, letting us know our mics were on and we're on air before <laughs> the show started on Wednesday morning? Era. Somewhere, somewhere between twenty
0: five and one hundred and twenty
4: five. I'll accept that. <laughs> I would have accepted any answer around heaps or too many, or <laughs> too we many get years. it. We were on air. Yeah, thank Thanks you Thanks for the reminder. Mm. Um, never felt so exposed in all my life. Oh God! Um, here we. Oh my gosh! It is four points all. Oh. This is a tiebreak. No, it's just the last question. No tiebreaker question. <clears throat> I'm really excited about this question. <laughs> mm. Let me get ready. <clears throat> get your um. Just before we get into it, make sure you get your um acceptance speech ready to go. <clears throat> yeah. Question number ten. What band did the original version of "Talking to a Stranger"?
0: <laughs> Not Hoodoo Gurus.
4: No, Sarah. Yeah, Sarah, uh, you can answer Not,
0: this. Not talking heads.
4: Yep. Hunters and collectors. Correct. Sarah Smith, the champion. <laughs> Any words?
0: Yeah, I'd like to thank um, Daniel's Vitamin Company that uh, have clearly pulled the wool over his eyes. Yeah, And I'd also like to thank everyone that has supported me for being um, such a competitive Person in this game. I appreciate your support. You are the wind beneath my wings.
4: Um, that's it. See you next week for the Breakfasters breakdown quiz.
0: Melbourne's own Triple R. You've been listening to a podcast: the best bits of the Breakfasters. Which is the Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Feel free to get in touch with Breakfasters via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or via the Triple R website.